Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. Well, good morning and welcome to Off The Record. I'm Jordan Dean. And I'm James Collins. James Collins, how are you this fine morning? I'm good, I'm good. We've, we've just got a, an amazing coffee. Oh, and um, wow. yeah, no, I'm ready I'm ready to start my Saturday with Absolutely. two hours of incredible music. Well, welcome to Off The Record. For those of you that don't know what this show is, James Collins is going to explain rather eloquently. It's been a while since we've explained to yes. the listeners. Yes. I think we've kind of just been assuming that they know what this show is about. Right. But I feel like, you know, along the way, perhaps they've been sharing it with a mate. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's nice to assume that. Absolutely. So that mate james collins yes talk to me what is off the record so basically we are two massive music lovers um to just to clarify we're massive we are not lovers we are music lovers (laughs) who uh yeah two people who love music and uh basically each week we take an artist and we go through their whole discography start to finish uh to explore basically everything that happened off the record so all of the stories behind the songs um you know putting context behind uh, basically, yeah, the reason artists create and, totally. and what they create about. So, um, so yeah. And what's special is we've put the hours in. We've gone through a year of this. Yeah. And we've put through quite a few very, very, very good artists. Big time. Artists Big time. that are perhaps household names, mm. people that you've perhaps grown up listening to, or people that have just started, you know, rising through now. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think it's safe to say today's artist is no small deal. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely uh, not. An absolute legend in the game. Mm-hmm. Someone who we have loved growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, their music has shaped culture. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so it's my honour to be able to introduce today's artist. Today we're going to go through the discography of Amy Winehouse. Come on, come on. I'm I'm excited for this one. Um, and there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a bit of a sad episode. Totally. Just to kind of, uh, a little bit of a trigger warning. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, we're obviously going to have to get into the nitty gritty of it. But... What an amazing career! What totally. an amazing, what an amazing totally. discography um, to go through, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to I'm excited to go through it. Absolutely, today's episode is going to be all the highs and lows of uh, Amy Winehouse, but there's definitely beauty in this today. So we hope today Absolutely. sort of inspires you. We hope you love the music from today. But James Collins, tell me. What song is starting off today's show? So we're starting with the first track off of our first album, Frank. Uh, this is a track called "Stronger Than Me." Stronger than me 
intro stronger than me yes quite a young voice i'm hearing yeah 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 man i mean obviously we've got to put into context this is amy's first ever record i think she released this when she was 18 i want to say i'll just double check that but um but yeah it's like it's you can really hear obviously i think everyone listening will will be familiar with amy's music will be familiar with any of the tracks um that we're listening today and um yeah i i, I just think you know, Frank's such an interesting album and it's such an interesting place to start because, um, you know, she named it after sort of basically, we're going to play a track quickly now. Uh, it's, uh, it's basically, it's like one of the first sort of recordings that Amy had, basically just to give a bit of backstory to, to her upbringing. Um, she was born in 1983. Um, she stolen my job. <laughs> she, um, she went to, um, a bunch of theater schools. So, uh, the first theater school she went to, she was nine. Um, but it was actually in the same year that her parents got divorced and that kind of changed a lot for her. And I think she became a lot more rebellious, um, from that sort of moment onwards. Um, three years later, she actually got accepted to Sylvia Young, uh, which is, obviously the iconic uh, theatre school in London. Um, but she was actually expelled uh, because she wasn't necessarily applying herself, quote unquote. Um, so yeah, she kind of describes, uh, I, I, basically I've watched the, the Amy Winehouse documentary and, and if anyone wants to sort of know more about the story and get more of like an in-depth, uh, the documentary Amy is absolutely fantastic. Um, 
but she describes in that you know after her parents divorce she just began bunking off school and you know you know she she basically realized she could wear what she wanted she could do what she wanted um and she didn't she wasn't necessarily going to have her dad at home telling her off and that kind of thing and i think from that moment onwards she kind of adopted this really like rebellious nature um but anyway yeah interestingly um after sylvia young she actually got accepted to brit school as well and um yeah she started performing with uh the national youth orchestra uh so we actually have this recording um which is amazing it's her performing moon river uh of course the classic um So yeah, we'll we'll have a listen to that now just quickly. So obviously you get like, it's really interesting hearing that because she sounds, she just sounds like a jazz singer, right? And it's like, it's, it's this really amazing recording. Like when I first heard it, I thought it was incredible because it's like, you know, you can hear the influences there of, of people like Billie Holiday, of like your Nina Simone's or your like Dinah Washington's, for example. Um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's this classic jazz vocal. And it's, I, I just thought it was amazing as sort of like sort of pretense to, um, to sort of pretext to, to Frank. Um, Frank obviously being named after sort of like as an ode to Frank Sinatra and how much he inspired wow. her. And um, yeah, you know, Frank's this incredible project where you've got this girl who's gone through school and everything, um, not necessarily enjoyed the process <laughs> of going to school. Um, but yeah, and, but she's just got this un dying love for for jazz and for these old records and the feeling that evokes and and how she wants to perform like that so um so anyway while she was at brit school uh she met a friend called tyler james um who was another singer-songwriter at the time and um he was being managed by simon fuller's management company 19 entertainment at the time so she introduced him uh sorry she introduced amy to um a young manager who was there uh, called Nick Shemansky. Um and yeah he started managing her and they went on to sign her first record with Island Records uh, which is amazing you know like absolutely huge and um, yeah it was a huge turning point and this album really kick-started everything for Amy um, off the tracks that sort of made it onto Frank um, she was able to basically with, with her publishing um, advance she was able to move out which was huge for her in, in terms of just gaining her own independence um, and just getting out of her family home. I think, you know, in the documentary, she describes that 
you know, she she didn't enjoy living at home too much. You know, she wanted to move out as soon as she could. And, you know, music, this was the first chance that music had to, or so this was the first chance that she had to move out and music was the thing that, that allowed that to happen. So, um, so yeah, an incredible story. Um, and obviously Frank was then the byproduct of, of what came of that. So, um, so yeah, we're going to jump into the next track. Um, it's a track called There Is No Greater Love. And uh, it's gorgeous because it's, it's, a, it's a jazz standard. So it's been recorded by people like Nat King Cole beforehand. Um, but, you know, such a nice way to kind of include this earlier journey of her appreciating jazz and loving jazz um, enough to, to put a standard on her first album. But, uh, but yeah, this is No Greater Love by Amy Winehouse. There is no greater love what I feel for you No sweet song No heart so true What you bring to me No sweet song Then what you sing Sing to me Ooh, You're the sweetest It's true. No greater love than what I feel for you. There's something I want to say about this song. Go on. It's so interesting because you mentioned how, you know, she's covering these songs, mm. these sort of legendary songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, know, you mentioned the likes of Nat King Cole earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in my head, I'm going, she's this young girl going, I'm super inspired by mm. this music from 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make an album of it. And it's funny because we're now looking back, almost like relating her with the greats. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. She yeah, just yeah, seen yeah, herself yeah. as yeah. like this little humble girl. Absolutely. From North London who's what 19 years old 18 19 years old mm. going this music growing up inspired me so i'm just gonna does that does that make sense yeah man in, in no, my 100%. head like i just relate it to someone who's currently at brit school now going mm. i want to be a singer mm. so i'm gonna you know cover a bg's album or i'm gonna cover like the 80s era disco and i think mm. for her that's exactly what it would have been it would have been sort of like hey and, and we see it on tiktok now as well all these sort of like young people yeah covering these older songs mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so it's just so cool how we're seeing it and we're comparing it almost going, uh, look at her covering this. Like she's a great covering a great. And yet for her, she would have just been this, 
this humble little teenager, right? Absolutely. And what I think is so amazing, uh, just to put it into context, so it was released in 2003. Uh, other albums are released uh, in that year. Uh, it's the Black Album by, Jay- uh, by Jay-Z, um, Think Tank by Blur, um, Hell's the Thief by Radiohead, Dangerously in Love by Beyonce, um, Death Cab for Cutie's album was released that year, The Darkness Speaker Box by Outkast. So, you know, it's... It was an era where people weren't making stuff like this. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, everything was becoming, okay, Elephant by um, Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. It you was know. Just heavily sort of like, I want to say pop centric. Yeah. And, and it was it's just so well, saturated. It, you know, it's, it's the origins of, of what we kind of saw pop as today, where you, you know, it was the, the backlash of the 90s. So right. where bands like, Spice Girls and and you know the girl groups the boy girls bands yeah everything all was just thriving absolutely man and and you know it's one of those things where if you were to you know look at the radio at that time everything was probably quite heavily produced quite um, electronic yeah. um, and it was it you know you can you can hear that two thousand sound yet here Amy is this young girl releasing her debut record releasing standards that sound like they were recorded in like the 30s or the 40s well you mentioned that didn't you You said mm. sonically this actually sounds 30s like yeah. it's not just yeah, yeah, a yeah, new yeah. take on an no. old song it's, it feels old if you can hear the crackle of the vine yeah and, the and you know her performance is gorgeous it's absolutely amazing on a track like that and i think it, you know if anything it's just an ode to how much she respected all of the artists that you know she, she was influencing in this album and this is the thing. We're going to move on to to an extract. Uh, it's one of my favourite tracks from Amy. Obviously, each week I have a favourite. Blah blah. However, this track is absolutely amazing. Uh, this is in, there's this hilarious video of Tyler the Creator uh, in I think like a Walmart or something, and he's just like playing this song on a speaker and just absolutely losing Blast his now, mind yeah, to it. <laughs> um, but what I love about this song is a song called "I Heard Love Is Blind." Um, and the story, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll let you guys listen to the lyrics. Um, but what I love about it is it's written and it's structured as a standard would be. Yeah. But with this real modern take on um, basically sort of the, the context of the story. We'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about the lyrics after. Um, but it's just absolutely gorgeously written and such a lovely combination of like Amy, obviously one thing that we haven't mentioned is the one thing that everyone fell in love with from the start was Amy's attitude. She was so brash. She was so in your face. And this track is such a beautiful combination of the way all of these standards were written and composed and structured and what she wanted to talk about in her music. So um, yeah, without further ado, this is uh, I Heard Love Is Blind. I couldn't resist him His eyes were like yours His hair was exactly the shade of brown He's just not as tall But I couldn't tell It was dark and I was lying down You are everything He means nothing
with one of the most twisted songs right? I think I've heard. <laughs> Lyrically, what is even going on? It's amazing. I, you know, I, I adore it. Um, I think, you know, lyrically, if anyone was listening to that, um, you know, she's telling the story of cheating on her boyfriend, um, but it's set to this this harmony that's often related. Well, you think of all the, the jazz standards. It's literally the epitome of love songs, right? right. It's like the way they flow everything harmonically, you know, is dedicated to the feeling of, of well, it's, it's creating feeling, right, uh, through harmony. Yet she's got this song where lyrically she's talking about, um, you know, I, it's not cheating. I was thinking of you the whole time. Like, I was thinking it was you. <laughs> it's amazing. And I love that you just said it's literally just gaslighting. <laughs> Because, yes. She just gaslighting this guy, being like, your feelings are not valid, okay? <laughs> well, it's just like, what do you expect? You left me here alone. I drank so much. I needed your touch. Don't overreact. I pretended he was you. It's like, there's there's such a, I don't know. I absolutely adore it. Um, and I love the contradiction. I love that interplay. But I think it just perfectly summarizes, like, you know, what Amy wanted to achieve with this album. You know, she was creating songs that sound sounded like classics from the off because she had such an appreciation for this whole era of songwriting and performance and artistry. Um, yet she had her own stories to tell. So, you know, you, you had this matching of like these, these, this music that was always written about like idealism and like, you know, romanticized versions of, of love and whatever. And she's like, well, that's not my situation. So I'm going to write it about what I'm, what's actually happening in my life. Um, and I, I, I love it. And I yeah, think it's it like a parody and I kind of yeah, like that. Yeah. It's, it's like there, there's something really satirical about it. And I think, but I think, you know, from the off, that's what was exciting about Amy was, realistically she was such a character she was such a personality in herself and she wasn't going to let you know the fact that she was just singing a certain type of music obscure that um and yeah i i i absolutely adore it i think it's one of my favorite tracks of, hers of all time but um but yeah we're going to move on to the next song uh once again similar type of thing um it's just a prime example of amy basically making a diss track um to with the the back setting of jazz. So uh, yeah, this is F Me Pumps. When you walk in the bar and you're dressed like a star, rocking your F Me Pumps, and the man notice you with your Gucci back crew, can't tell who he's looking to. Cause you all look the same. Everyone knows your name, and that's your whole claim to fame. Never miss a night, cause your dreaming life is 
to be a footballer's wife. You don't like players, that's what you say. What you really wouldn't mind a millionaire. You don't like ballers, they don't do nothing for you. What you'd love a rich man six foot two or taller. You're more than a fan, looking for a man. But you end up with one night stands. He could be your whole life if you got past one night. But that part never goes right. In the morning, you're back. He's on to the next. And you didn't even get no taste. Don't be too upset if they call you a scared. Cause like the news every day. You don't like players, that's what you said. But you really wouldn't mind a millionaire. All them big ballers don't do nothing for ya. But you'd love a rich man six foot two or taller. You can't sit down right, cause your jeans are too tight. And you're lucky it's ladies night. With your big Every week it gets worse At least your breast cost more than hers So you did Miami Cause you got there for free But somehow you missed the plane You did too much Met somebody And spent the night getting caned Without girls like you You're pushing 30 And your old tricks no longer work You should have known from the jump That you always get dumb So dust off your with me F Me Pumps, Amy Winehouse, here on River Radio If you just tuned in right now, I'm Jordan <laughs> Dean And I'm James Collins And we're going through the discography of Amy Amy Collins. Yeah, sure, man. Uh, <laughs> Amy Winehouse, of course. Amy Winehouse, over the next sort of hour and a half. Mm. Uh, we're going to play a couple of tracks now to mm. sort of like let you just marinate in this album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you just name some of the songs coming up? Yeah, of course. Uh, so we've got Know You Now, we've got In My Bed. Um, obviously, just to go over that, obviously we've got F Me Pumps. Um, this track was actually written by, uh, predominantly by her producer, um, who's a guy uh who was an incredible incredible producer um and yeah he basically uh salam remy he took the song like he'd written the song about basically women that were like uh like trashy women who were just after one night stands um and he took it to amy and it just perfectly fitted the album you know you gotta um kind of think about sort of amy at this point in her life she's like 19 living by herself or living with her friends uh she was in north finchley at the time and she's just kind of yeah just living sort of that london lifestyle so she meets she meets salam salam i think was working in miami at the time and um she just went out and did all the sessions with him so she had a few of these songs already um and then it just became kind of like this this satirical um 
narrative. Well, yeah, they, they just kind of said this to, had this satirical narrative of kind of like all the people that they were meeting in pubs and on nights out and things like that. And it just, you know, it's, it's so perfect in sort of encapsulating that time for Amy. I think, you know, you can hear there's, there's an innocence in it. You can hear there's, this is the first time that she's doing all of this stuff. Um, and it, it sounds young, you know, she sounds young in it and the way she's talking about stuff and the way she's judging people, it sounds young, right? Um, and yeah, this uh, this next song we're going to play is a song called Know You Now. Um, and it's basically a track where she meets a guy uh, at a, a pub or a bar and um, she basically realises that she might not ever meet him ever again. So she needs to get to know him now and she wants to get to know him now. And her friends are saying, ah, you probably shouldn't go back with him or whatever. But she's like, no, 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 no. This might never happen again. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, this is Know You Now from the album Frank. You're just a little boy underneath that hat. You need to nurture
song amy winehouse here on river radio we just had that know you now yes in my bed october song it's like it's almost like she's got like a three-word formula yeah absolutely absolutely and um yeah this this next song does not comply however one thing that we haven't mentioned about this this album as a whole um obviously we were were brought in with stronger than me the first track on the album Mm. um and this next track that we're gonna play also explores uh what basically the album was about which is her first relationship um with a guy called chris taylor um who was an older guy um and she basically became completely infatuated with him um and this next song you sent me flying is an amazing song and the narrative is basically that she was so impressed by this guy she was so blown away by him um but then the more she got to know him the less that like more that began to wear off and the less infatuated she became and she basically it's, it's kind of like this 
contradiction between what she expected from him as an older guy and for, for him to kind of like be the man kind of thing, um, as she mentions in Stronger Than Me, um, and that realistically that wasn't actually the case. Um, so it's an incredible song and, and, you know, it just explores her disappointment of being with this guy who she was absolutely just thought so highly of and then was just completely let down. So, um, so yeah, without further ado, this is You Sent Me Flying. Let you outside And my new Why you were thinking I didn't have a clue Tough to sort files With your voice in my head So then I bribed you downstairs With a Marlboro Red So small discovering you knew How much more torture would you have put me through You probably saw me laughing at all your jokes Or how I did not mind when you stole all my smokes, yeah
with you sent me flying slash cherry i want to ask mm. why is it artists that put sort of like a slash there just to give it another name is yeah. it because they can't decide on what to call the song well it was two songs but like you know cherry cherry's this really innocent song about her and how she kind of relies emotionally on her guitar as being like the thing that she can use to kind of like pour her soul out and you know get stuff out of her head basically um so it's it's amazing i i love the pairing of the two tracks because you've got this one obviously the, the first track there being you sent me flying of like her first experience of being really infatuated in a relationship and being really let down um and it's quite mature and then you've got it contrasted with this track of like i'm so happy about having my guitar yeah, cherry yeah, yeah. uh because i can just sit down and write my songs and write my blues with this guitar which yeah I, I don't know it's, it's just really nicely contradicted i don't know whether that was completely intentional 
but um but yeah, obviously Jerry's just a, sh- a, a short song anyway yeah. so probably just put in as a bit of an interlude but um i don't know that there's there's something really nice about the production on this album and i think cherry is a prime example of it where it really it, it gives me the same type of you know interestingly in music at the time as i said you know there was it's post 90s but you've had albums from people like lauren hill miseducation you've got um baduism uh by Erica badu um you've got kind of that whole soul Quarians movement and you can really hear the influence in a lot of these tracks where you know it's very much just like speak your soul speak exactly what it is that you want to say and you can write a song about anything and you compare that with something that sounds amazing and just you know create something out of out of nothing really mm. and i think you know cherry is a really good example of sort of the the innocence but also the I don't, I don't know. I like. I just think it's. I, I think it's important to have songs like that to show sort of how young a young Amy was at the time, but also how she was literally just writing songs. Like she, the the first songs that were kind of um, crafted and posed to to Ireland when she was uh, giving them. When she like, she, there's a vid- there's this video of her playing to the A and R's of Ireland. It's amazing. Um, but basically, like, she used to write poems. She didn't write songs, she just wrote poems. And right. she just wrote things down to just get it out of her head. Um, and I think I just think there's, some, there's something really nice about showcasing that that innocence, you know, of, of that authenticity of her just sitting down and writing poems about whatever it is. Um, and this one being about her guitar. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is really nice. But obviously, to contrast that, uh, we've also got uh, this next track that we're going to play is... A gorgeous track but it's basically it's called take the box and it explores the story of how when she fell out of love with uh her vo- first boyfriend uh chris taylor she literally packed all of his stuff in a box and just dropped off to his house and just it was just kind of like take everything back i don't want anything to do with it anymore and um yeah it's just once again you know it shows that maturity of of how she was dealing with things um, and I think she was a girl that, you know, very much had to grow up quite quickly. And I think she was always, for me anyway, I always, I, you know, I never saw her. And even listening back, like, I don't listen to these tracks as like, oh, this is just a 19 year old, um, you know, girl just moved to London, et cetera, et cetera. I think of it as so much more than that. I think of this as like the real pinnacle moments of like her artist development, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, yeah, I think this next track uh, it was it was actually one of the most successful singles off the off the album when it was first released, and um, yeah, I, I just think it's great. I, I adore the songwriting in it, um, but once again, it's you know a really somber storytelling matched with some incredible production and some cre- incredible harmony. So um, so yeah, this is uh, "Take the Box" by Amy Winehouse. Nothing to say, you're so- 
James Collins, you better take that box, mate. Yes. Get out of here. Yes. Be We're gone. Done. We're done. We're, <laughs> We're over. See you later. No, I yes. won't. That's fair enough. No, I won't That's see fair you. enough. Um, yeah, it's such a gorgeous song. And, you know, it's, it's, once again, it's like, it's coming back to this thing of like, just picture that in like 2003. It's, you know, it's, it's different to the, it's, it's similar, but it's more, I would say, sort of artistic and authentic to Amy than it is to, to anything else being released at the time. I think at the time she was also being compared to people like Dido um, and those types of singer-songwriters where it was, you know, think Nora Jones, think those types of albums that were being recorded really traditionally and in such a gorgeous way. Like, the man, there isn't an album um, that I I don't think sounds better than, than Come Away With Me by Nora Jones because it's just recorded so gorgeously. But There isn't an album that sounds better. Yeah, ever well i like man it's it's perfection like the the way it's wow. recorded is is genuinely perfect it's it's such a gorgeous album but like you know if you were recording a piano and a vocalist you know like yeah, that yeah, type yeah. of thing it's always, you know it's, it's different style of production but um you, you know you can see the comparisons with tracks like that to those albums but realistically you know amy was saying so much more with her music and that's what i i absolutely adore about this album and i think you know, once again, I, I see her as being a lot more, um, a lot more intentional with her, with her influences, and a lot more intentional with what it is that she was trying to achieve. I think from the off, she knew she knew she knew what she was doing, and I think that's what's amazing. Um, and with this album, you know, the harmony is incredible. It's such a it's beautiful ode to to that traditional standard way of writing. And um, yeah, I just think it's great. I love this album. I think it's so good. And this next song is an interesting one. Uh, only because, obviously, 
to put into context as well. Uh, you've got people like Kanye, Chop and Soul, um, and sampling became like a real thing, I think, in, in uh, how it was being used in the early 2000s. And because of albums uh, like Graduation, for example, you know, it became a lot more popular and a lot more sort of in popular music. And this next track is a really, really great example of that. Um, obviously, to to see sort of Amy Winehouse being sort of surrounded by uh, that style of production was really interesting. Um, and it's interesting to, to listen back to it now. But it's actually, um, it samples uh, Doris Day's uh, 1945 track, You Won't Be Satisfied Until You Break My Heart. And um, it's, it, I don't know, it's I, I think it's such a nice way to to reference that sound that she was trying to achieve um and yeah for me like i i I, like you know listening back to this track um i absolutely adore how a different it sounds on the album but also when you listen to like well when we went through adele's latest album for example tracks like that when where she's doing the exact same thing um and you know it, it was just a really early example of of someone using sampling and sort of creating beats and harmony from things that they're inspired by to create stuff that sounds new and fresh. And, and yeah, I, I just, it, it surprised me when I, when I listened back to it and, and like the first time that I listened to it and I was like, Oh, like I just, I just didn't know that a track like that exists from maybe. So, um, so yeah, it's really cool. But, uh, yeah, without further ado, this is help yourself. Above the sea, high and, and carry you 
Said it's Amy Winehouse jazz mixed with the likes of Lauren Hill. It's Lauren Hill, so Erica much Pooh, inspiration yeah, 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 in yeah. one song. It's gorgeous. I love it, and I, I think you know, you know, we're, we're wrapping up Frank now, and Frank was such a good album in the sense that like it really showed sort of the origins of Amy and where she was coming from. You know, to to go back to obviously like the beginning of the show of us playing that track of her with the National Youth Orchestra. You know, she wanted to make an album as an ode to to all the music that she grew up and absolutely adored, and and I think. You know, it's 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 an incredible listen to now. Now that we know sort of like where she went to, et cetera, et cetera, it's great. Um, so yeah, just to put it into context, the album went platinum uh, in the UK, and she won an Ivor uh, Ivor Novello. Um, for How the old album. was she? Uh, Nineteen. Oh, yeah, which is amazing. Um, so yeah, it's incredible, really. Um, oh no, she sorry, she was nineteen when she was producing it, and she just turned twenty when it was released. And yeah, she won an Ivor Novella for it, and um, obviously it launched her into sort of you know everyone's everyone's radar. I suppose she was being played on the radio, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, off the back of that, she moved to Camden, and this was a, a big turning point for her in her life generally. Um, you know, everyone loved the album. Everyone sort of knew who she was, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so she moved to Camden and she became, you know, engrossed within the Camden music scene. So at the time, uh, there was a couple of places that were really influential on her and sort of basically her life and her career as a whole. And um, it would be two years till she released her next album, Back to Black. And uh, basically, uh, the two places in Camden she often frequented uh, was the Trash Nightclub and the Holy Arms. And this was where, like, the likes of, I don't know, like, the Libertines, Baby Shambles, and, like, Razor Light, like, these iconic British bands that were really kind of rejuvenating what it meant to to, to be, like, an, a British indie band, you know? And, and there was a real scene at the time um, of, you know, proper English bands again, you know, post-Britpop, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
And anyway, she got a little bit too caught up in that. So obviously she didn't have to work. So off the back of Frank, uh, I think she she stopped working in uh, like 2005, I want to say, uh, or 2004. And she basically, she was just kind of living that lifestyle of just sort of being around the clubs, uh, getting drunk, um, playing pool. Apparently she was a great pool player, um, which is a cool little fact. Uh, and yeah, Basically, it was at these events that she met her then soon-to-be husband, Blake Fielder, um, who we know is obviously a big part of, of her story. Uh, so she met Blake when she was with someone and he was with someone, um, but they were kind of seeing each other at the time anyway. Um, so in 2005, Lucian Grange, uh, if anyone doesn't know, he's the CEO of uh, Universal Music. Um, and obviously she was signed to Ireland. Ireland was owned by Universal. He basically had a meeting with Amy and said, I, it's been an, a year or a year and a half since Frank and we, we want another album now. And it was basically her kind of reason for, for having to start actually writing stuff. You know, she, she, she got herself into a rut really, you know, she was living that lifestyle in, in Camden, just kind of getting drunk all the time, that kind of thing. And he was like, no, you we need an album now. Um, otherwise you're going to be forgotten. So she started, uh, getting more into it with Blake. Um, and they basically became attached at the hip. They, she, he had to be everywhere that she was, et cetera, et cetera. And they were absolutely infatuated with each other until Blake messaged Amy whilst she was on holiday saying that he didn't want to leave his girlfriend and, uh, that he thought they were better off as friends. And, um, she ended up sleeping with Blake's best friend um, as sort of like revenge to get back at him. I think, you know, it came from a place of they were so infatuated with each other. They knew that they wanted to be with each other, but here he was and it was a massive slap to the face to her. So she wanted to get her own back. So basically after that, when he said no, she just went completely off the rails. She just went absolutely mad. Um, and everywhere she went, everything that she did, because they spent so much time together, she was just reminded of him. Like she, she, she says, like every time she like opened the fridge, she thought of him. Yeah. And like she was, like I, I think I, there was something about he used to like punch the wall or something. So every time she would see like a scuff on the wall or something, she'd think that it was him, or, or like she'd remi be reminded of him, or think that he was the one that um, he was the one that did it. Um, so anyway, um, Amy's friends got a call from one of their neighbours um, to say that she'd fallen over. Uh, this was one night in, um, in 2005. And they basically went over to her house and it was a tip, an absolute tip. She was, yeah, just living like in a mess, basically. Um, and at the time she wasn't eating and it became known um, that she had a, uh, an eating disorder that most people would recognise as bulimia. And... Um, Basically, because she wasn't eating, she wasn't even drinking a lot, but it was going straight into her system and just completely messing her up. So um, her manager at the time, Nick, uh, took her to Black Park, of all places, um, and he basically kind of caused a bit of an informal intervention where he basically stayed there and he said, I, I, we needed to go you know, somewhere completely remote and just let her sober up. So it started by her kind of like laughing, like, you know, what are you doing kind of thing. And then just progressively 
the more time that they spent there and she was out of Camden, out of the city and everything, she just got increasingly more self-aware of her situation. She ended up breaking down, just kind of admitting that she had a problem and that she wanted to to sort everything out. Um, so Nick basically suggested and said, you know, you've got a problem. You recognize you've got a problem. Um, maybe we should think about getting you some help. Um, and so he suggested that she wanted to go to rehab and of course to anyone that's ever listened to the song um she said i'll go to rehab if my dad thinks i have to go to rehab uh to which he said no of course she doesn't need to go to rehab she's absolutely fine don't worry about it so she didn't go she went to like the first couple of sessions and then just to kind of like satisfy nick and then just didn't didn't go because her dad said that she didn't need to um so basically, you know, now that she kind of recognized that there was a problem, she was, you know, sobering up from the situation and the downfall that sort of came post break, uh, Blake breaking up with her. She actually flew out to Salim again in Miami and she spent like a week out there and all she did was write. She just wrote song after song after song. Um, now, just before we get into Back to Black, we're just going to play one track, uh, which is for me, I think it's it's one of my favourite performances from her. Um, it's on Jules Holland, and it's a track uh, she's covering, uh, Teach Me Tonight. And um, I absolutely adore this track anyway, but I, I love her performance. It's so good. But this is this was, yeah, this was from 2005, sort of in this period of of her sort of starting to, to write the tracks that then became Back to Black. Did you say I had a lot to learn? Well, baby, don't think I'm trying not to Since this is the perfect spot to learn Go on, teach me tonight Oh, 
So, you know, at this point, obviously she's writing loads for her next album. And as sort of like a label decision, she's flown out to work with none other than Mark Ronson himself. The absolutely fantastic, I'm obsessed with the guy. Um, we, we have to do an episode on totally. him and, and his music. But yeah, she was flying out to, to New York where Mark was working. And um, yeah, basically she wanted to make a different type of album. She didn't want to stick with the jazz stuff anymore. She felt that it kind of came in between her and what it was that she was trying to say. And I think, you know, for her as sort of as a performer, as an artist, you know, this album was going to be a lot darker than the stuff that she'd previously released. And, um, and so Mark started working on kind of like this Shangri-La sound where it's kind of like the Phil Spector wall of sound, more sixties sort of style of, 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 of track. And, um, Anyway, she in her first session, uh, she worked with Mark and she had this song idea. She had this idea of, of Mark had played this part on the piano and literally within two, three hours, she'd written a track. Um, she left it with Mark and the next day she came back and the whole thing was completely produced and arranged. And that track ended up being the title track of the album. Uh, it was the song Back to Black. And obviously this is the story about her... Um, and obviously Blake splitting up with her over text and, you know, her going back to black, him going back to the girl, um, his girlfriend, but like no consideration for her whatsoever. And, you know, although obviously we know the situation of, of how that relationship escalated and we'll get onto that in a bit, um, at the, at the core of it, there was just this infatuation where the two of them were just so in love with each other so enthralled by each other's company and um it absolutely tore her apart so um so yeah this is back to black Same old same bed 
Addicted James Collins. We're edging towards the end of our show, but yes. my God, my goodness, have we got some pretty good songs? We coming still up. have some. We have so much to cover. Um, obviously, uh, you know that sound. As I mentioned before, you know it's that Shangri La's that sixties Phil Spector that Muscle Shoals sound. It's amazing, and, and it's you know, happy. It's happy, and yet the lyrics are such a contrast. That's the thing, and like you know, that's what Amy wanted to achieve with this album. She she wanted to get. She basically, I think, in an interview, described it as like she just wanted less chords, basically. Um, she like she wanted less harmony less like jazz more just good songs like because this was also another healthy influence for her like you know she grew up on the 60s she grew up on that sound that um you know uh it's like three-piece girl group sound of like the renettes the shangri-las um you know that as as i said you know that 60s sound so um so yeah it was incredible that mark ronson was able to find that sound and and it really shaped the rest of the album and um yeah, you know, obviously that track there, it's a song about her friend's boyfriend stealing her weed. And I think at the time, Amy, you know, she was launched into into the public eye around sort of like her winning the Ivan Novello, but also she became in a lot of like the magazines and the newspapers because she was kind of around Camden. She was often pitched quite drunk or off her face. But, um, but yeah, you know, this track was an interesting one in the... 
it was just her sort of embodying exactly who she was. You know, as we mentioned before, it was matching these older sounds, these sounds of, of what it was that she loved with her brash and out there personality. Like, she just didn't care what people thought. This is who she was, and this is what she was going to write her songs about, and I, th- I, th- I think it's amazing. Um, but anyway, there, there's a real somber tone to this album. Obviously, as I mentioned before, it was very much centered around that situation with Blake. And um, yeah, this, these next couple of tracks we're going to play... Um, are for me some of like the most vulnerable, the most touching songs, and probably actually the most upsetting songs that I I listen to of Amy's. Um, but it's, we're going to play a couple of tracks, and it's basically just summarising everything with that relationship and how she felt at that time with sort of what happened with Blake. So um, we're going to start off with uh, the next track, which is "Some Unholy War." <laughs>
That was Love Is a Losing Game by Amy Winehouse. Such a gorgeous song. I like there, there's something so tender about that song, obviously, but you know, I just I I don't know, it just makes my heart break every time I listen to it and it's really upsetting. Um but you know, I think it just goes to show sort of where she was in that relationship with Blake. And you know, yeah, for me it's it's one of the most tender moments on the album and yeah, I just it breaks my heart every time I listen to it. But yes, moving on. Without further ado, uh, this is uh, we're moving on to I think one of my favorite Amy tracks of all time. As in, if I was to ever listen to an Amy track, it would be this, um, which is crazy. So um, there, we're going to play the original track. If you were to like ever, okay, like perhaps one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would just put this track on hundred percent. So we're going to play the original version. This was released on a uh, on her posthumous album. Um, in 2011 but this is the original version of uh, Tears Dry on their own it's a real slow sort of ballady yeah man I mean such a such a tribute to once again you know that huge sound but it's a lot slower lacks the energy the sort of the the end version, the the next version, um, sort of provided. But as you so perfectly mentioned, Sir Jordan Dean, uh, tell the people what is this track uh, a rendition of? Well, yeah. So we're playing Tears Dry on their own. Mm-hmm. Here it is, and I'll play it from the start as soon as we yeah, do yeah, play yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ain't no mountain high enough. I literally did not realise this until you mentioned that, which is insane, absolutely insane. But yeah, it, it was actually, um, so the backing track, uh, obviously that was the original version. Um, and then it was put to an interpolation of the instrumentation of Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Insane, absolutely insane. Um, but, you know, once again, I, I think, you know, Amy's been so, so, like her whole artistry has been such an incredible tribute to all of the music that she grew up totally, on. Totally. It's, it's, it's such an amazing way to, you know, add so much more energy, but also add you know, the most perfect sort of reference point. But uh, the thing is, I never ma- I never made that connection in my head. I don't know why. Now that you've said it, I will never be able to listen to it. It's because I'm the musical one. <laughs> the same. This, Maybe know? I think so. I, may- I think that's it. Um, but yeah, anyway, this is Tears Dry on Their Own from the album oh, Back to Black. Waiting for you in the hotel at night. I knew I had him at my match, but every moment we could snatch. I don't know why I got so attached. It's my responsibility. You don't own nothing to me, but to walk away, I have no progressivity. He walks away, the sun goes down.
Any other song <laughs> midday on a Saturday? That was tears dry on their own. Amy Winehouse here on River Radio. You're yes. listening to Off the Record with Jordan Dean, and I'm James Collins. And we're right towards the end of our show, James mm-hmm. Collins. But I feel like we've saved the best till last. Absolutely, Talk to me man. About the Zootons. So, what, just before we get onto that, just before we get onto that, I just want to say, you know, Back to Black was released on the 27th of October, and it absolutely launched Amy into into the limelight. She it became the best selling album in the UK. Um, in the, the the following year that came to, to her year, releasing, sorry? so this was 2006. 2006. So so in that year after um, her releasing it, it sold 1.85 million copies. Um, obviously, this is 2006. This is kind of like pre-streaming so people are still buying cds and stuff and yeah it was absolutely huge i remember i'm you know we were growing up at that time um and i don't remember i like i was such a fan of amy winehouse because i was listening to her so much on the radio um which isn't crazy which is absolutely crazy and then in 2007 amy won best british female at the brit awards and um yeah she ended up uh winning five grammys as well off from back to black which is absolutely incredible so she was very much thrown into the limelight and thrown into the public eye um which obviously wasn't we'll get onto that we'll get onto that we'll get onto that we'll get onto that um but on the 16th of april 2007 mark ronson uh releases his album uh which is basically he wanted to make a tribute album to all the music that inspired him so what he wanted to do was basically take artists that he was working with or artists that he wanted to work with and sort of make tribute songs covers uh, basically a covers album so it was called versions so he was taking songs that people heard of whatever um obviously he'd been working with amy during the um during the back to black sessions, black albums, yeah, and um, basically had mentioned to her, he was like, "Oh, I'm working on this this album. It would be a shame if you're not on it because obviously, you know, we worked so hard on this, on back to black and everything that came from it." Um, so he said, "Is there any songs that you would like to cover?" So the Zootons were like a 2000s band, uh, in- English indie band. They formed in Liverpool in 2001. Um, let's let's just play uh, the original version of Valerie. It's insane. I, I love it. I love it. So, I mean, it's a great track. And even in like midway through the song, you know, it's... 
kind of that sort of like yeah. rocky early early noughties. But it's still got like the horn sections and that, which totally. makes it quite classic. Um, and Amy basically had discovered the the track uh, on a supposedly on a jukebox in one of the bars that she used to to drink at in um, one of the pubs she used to drink at in Camden and uh, obviously she was a part of that British indie scene at the totally. time she was yeah. well engrossed within it so um so she brought the song to Mark as like a song that reminded her of um of that time and uh, this was the this was the original version of the recording so it's not too dissimilar to Nozzle, Nozzle. Um, Zootons. So basically, Marg was working with the Dat Kings, um, which are an incredible, incredible band and, and a set of incredible musicians. And uh, basically, they'd recorded this and they did about five or six takes and everything was good. And um, he was really happy with everything and how it sounded and everything. And, um, and then basically, um, everyone was packed down. It, like, the session had finished. Everyone had literally, like... Everything was packed away. And he comes in on the desk and he's like, guys, 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 I'm really sorry to do this. Do you mind if we just try one more thing? So he's like, I think it's like the energy's there or whatever. He was like, I just want to, I just want to try something. So like, he's like talking through the desk and he's like, let's just start with the bass with a dun, 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 dun. And then they kind of like built the track from there. And this was recording in one take. And it's obviously the version that we all know and love. So without further ado, this is Valerie by Amy Winehouse from Mark Ronson's album Versions. I'm sorry, Charlie Murphy, I was having too much fun. Well, sometimes Since I come home, well my body's been 
the very fact that you told me that this was all in one take <laughs> off the back of a recording already changes everything. It's insane. I would right? never listen to that song Man, the same again. Well, this is the thing, and and this is why you know Mark Ronson talks about the sessions um, a lot and basically says you know like when when they first wrote Back to Black, this the, the, like he's in awe of it like every time because he's like you know we literally. We all. She she wrote the song in two to three hours. She put the vocal down, and then he made the rest of the track, and it was done by the next day. And you know that was the first track that they'd written together, and it was the same thing, um, you know, with Valerie. It's like she she was such a performer. She had she had such uh, such mastery over her performance, and you know her her vocal ability. It was just incredible. Um, but unfortunately, that was that was the last thing that she really released. Um, so there was a few appearances um, later on in in her career. So she'd appeared on Quincy Jones had done a tribute album. She did a cover on that, and she also appeared on a track with uh, Tony Bennett when he was doing sort of a standards album. But unfortunately, this is now kind of like the downfall um, of everything that kind of went wrong, basically. Um, so she married uh, Blake in May two thousand and seven. So that was shortly after uh, Mark Ronson released his album. Um, and unfortunately, she had overdosed um, in 2007, in August 2007. And um, her friends are called and they tried to give sort of like a formal intervention. And that was basically when uh, Nick stopped working with her indefinitely because, her, well, you know, it all became too much. She, she Blake had... They'd gone to a, a facility, a hotel, to have this intervention, and uh, the doctors were were checking up on her. Um, the doctors at the hospital basically said they're very. She's very lucky to not be in a coma. Um, so she went to this hotel, and in between, sort of doctors checking up, somehow Blake had got into her her bedroom, uh, in, into her room, and she was found with drugs in her system. So it was very much just not. Yeah, you know, an abusive relationship where I think they they both encourage each other to to be to be very, um, yeah, not good. Anyway, um, so she was hospitalized, unfortunately, with exhaustion, and she cancelled her US tour in two thousand and seven. Um, later that year, Blake was arrested, and Amy uh, was then in and out of rehab um, for sort of the the rest of sort of two thousand eight two thousand nine, whilst. Um, Whilst Blake was in jail, uh, she went to St. Lucia um, as a complete break and separation from everything. And she, I think fame itself was was becoming extremely overwhelming. And she started appearing in newspapers and magazines of of getting into fights with people and and being photographed, you know, very uh, not okay. (laughs) Um, And in 2009, she officially divorced uh, with Blake. and in 2010, she announced that she was going to release her, her next album in January of 2011. And um, unfortunately, on the 18th of June, she was her last performance in Serbia. And um, she was unable to perform. She was completely, you know, she wasn't able to string a sentence together or anything. And unfortunately, on the 23rd of July 2011, Amy was found dead in a house in London. Um and this next track that we're going to play, it's the last track. So thank you so much for listening in. We hope we've shared a little bit more insight into what it was that she was trying to achieve. Um, but this is a track, uh, it's a cover called Our Day Will Come um, from her posthumous album, Lioness. Uh, I've been James Collins. And I've been Jordan Dean. And this has been Off The Records. Off The Records.